told you in the past how um, uh, I, I kind of transitioned through feelings about the different characters in the story, about Ruth and about Mordecai. I mean, if you remember way back when I started the book of Ruth, uh, I talked about that. Well, I've kind of gone through that same thing with Haman. We're going we're gonna to see tonight where Haman, Haman is um, he's examined, he's judged, and he's executed. And it's kind of harsh. And I kind of found my, you know, I've been kind of like rooting against Haman this whole time. I don't know about you guys. But like, oh, Haman, you know. And I think even in Purin, when they say it, they, they, they say Haman's name with kind of like some disgust. And I, was, I used to be in that camp, but after, t- after getting ready for tonight, there's a sadness in my heart. And I think that's, and, then, and that's why I kind of like get us thinking about judgment, because there's a sadness when people are judged and found guilty. And, and, um, and that's how we're all, I mean, that's, how we're gonna, that's, we're, that's the mood we're starting in tonight, and that's the mood we're going to end in tonight. Where, and it's not going to be a total downer. There's obviously the gospel, right? And so we'll talk about that tonight too, but it, um, I would challenge you too, in this first chapter we go through is about Haman. Um, feel compassion for the, those that don't know God. Feel compassion and don't, um, I'm speaking to myself more than I'm speaking to you. Don't rush to judge people, you know, as far as they, God will judge them. We need to just, we need to pray for those people and speak to those people with every opportunity and every breath we have. Because that, I believe, is why God has us here. God has us here to speak to the circles in which we, that, we, that we swim in. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know what I'm saying? God puts you, each one of us in different circles. And so as we talk about judgment tonight, think about those around you who don't know God. And, and look for and pray for opportunities to speak salvation to them. All right? So that's how we're going to start. Um, so we, let's pick up where we left off in case you, you missed it. Last, we saw Haman and Xerxes. They had the happy hour with Esther. Remember that? And she called it off. She waved it off for, for a day. That was, I thought that was cool. Um, and they also were uh, parading Mordecai around. Remember that? Haman had to parade him around. Um, and interestingly enough, too, on that parade, the person that was affected the most was not the person being paraded, but the person who had to lead him. It was Haman. Haman was, was affected the most. Um, and today is, the, is, the, is, is Haman's day. Today, is, today we're going to read about Haman's judgment day. Okay, so verse 1. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther, and on the second day, at the banquet of wine, the king again said to, to Esther, What is your petition? Queen Esther, it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Up to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. And so, and that's why I kind of think too, Esther. Esther hasn't changed her plan at all. Esther is on the exact same plan that she had before, and that's why I think she heard, she, you know, the spirit of God just say, "Whoa!" You know, she didn't have that. She had a. She didn't have that peace. Um, but she's on the exact same. Her plan has not changed. Banquet of wine the first time. Banquet of wine the second time. Okay. And still the same offer comes from the king. Uh, Esther, would you like to rule alongside me? That's not what she's going to say. So verse 3, Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given to me as my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as... 
male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. And we'll talk about that here in a second. So here we finally get her petition. Um, her petition that Esther would like to live. And we get her request, and that is that her people live as well. Okay? And she, um, you know, I had to, I had to refresh myself too, because I thought that was kind of wordy. I don't know about you, but I thought it was wordy what she says there. She says, um, um, verse 4 says, For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. I thought that was kind of wordy, but actually all she's doing is she's repeating back Haman's order. That's Haman's order from Esther 3.13. That's what he, that was the order that he put out, and all she is doing is reading that back, which kind of speaks to Haman's intent um, in the first place. There's, there's some interesting things here, too. And she says, um, she refers to slavery. Um, had we been sold as male or female slaves, um, I would have held my tongue. And it's an interesting thing. It's because um, I, I firmly believe she's, she's aware that um, what God was doing to God's people at that time, and that if they were to be sold into more slavery, that just meant that the time wasn't done yet. You know, the... You know, you, you, you bake for so long, and then if you pull it out and you examine it, if it's not done, you put it back in the oven and you, you bake it some more until it's done, you know. And I'm not a baker, so I don't pretend to know what I'm doing. But I did heat up some, some little burritos the other day, so I know how to do that. But um, it's, it's either done or it's not. So she's, I think she's what she's saying here. Had it been, if we've been sold into slaves, I can deal with that. God's not done with us. We can, we can get past this. But she says... She says something interesting, and, and, and you guys have been with me long enough, you know I have theories, right? Okay, so here's, and I've, I've kind of led up to this one before, but I, I'll kind of put it out there for you. Um, she says, this, I think this is an interesting caveat. She says there, um, you know, if we'd been sold into slavery, I wouldn't have said anything. However, um, the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. The king's loss, Okay. So there's something about this action that's going to happen that would affect the king directly. Now, I have two theories, and either one of them could be correct. Um, one of the theories is um, the Abrahamic, Abrahamic covenant. You know, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And so, in, in essence, by killing God's people, then he would be cursed. So that could be... You know, that could be, be the king's thing. But I honestly think, and bear with me, I think she's pregnant. I think she's pregnant. It's the king's loss, okay? And there's been some other things that have gone on throughout, through the time. But, but um, and, and part of it is, and I'll get to it tonight, it's the, um, um, the part where, uh, uh, well, let me, I'll just get to you later. There's another part where she talks about where, where the, um, Mordecai had said something earlier, and I'll remind you about that a little bit later. But I think there's, there's, there's something about this where she feels she has to speak up because this is going to affect the king directly. So we'll continue on here. Verse 5. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would dare presume in his heart? And I think it's interesting that the king goes there. He goes to the heart, presume in his heart, not his mind, but in his heart. To do such a thing. And Esther said, um, the adversary and enemy is this wicked mad Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. So the, for heart there, it, it means your innermost being. 
Um, but I, what I want to do is I want to examine the spiritual role of our hearts, okay? And I'm going to go a little technical on you, if you guys are okay with me going technical on you. I'm going to refer to, I'm going to try and explain to you um, an, uh, a military IFF system, a transponder. We refer to them. Uh, military aircraft all have them. They have, they have four different modes. I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget them and mix them up. Um, modes one and two identify your mission. Okay. Uh, mode uh, three alpha is what identifies if you, you, they'll ask you to squawk a certain squawk so that the, so somebody can locate you. Squawk, you know, 2314, Roger, 2314, you set it in, and suddenly they can now find you on their screen. But the one that I'm really interested in is, is uh, mode four. Mode four on military aircraft is, a, is what identifies you uh, as friend or foe, okay? So a transponder, um, well, first off, there's two, there's two parts of this system. There's an interrogator and there's a transponder. The interrogator says, who are you? The transponder says, I'm friend. It automatically, it's autonomous. The only thing we have in the cockpit is just shut it off. You can either turn it on or shut it off. It's autonomous. It automatically responds when interrogated. So did I lose you in any of that? Because I want to, make, I want to, I want to give you a similarity. An IFF transponder is what our heart is. Our heart identifies us as, as of God's or not of God's. You with me so far? Okay. Wasn't too technical. Um, because here's the thing. God looks at our heart. That's what he looks at. Um, it, when Samuel was, was, you know, remember they're looking for, you know, they're looking for David. Do you remember what Samuel says? Man looks on the outside, but what does God look at? God looks at the heart. Yep. And so um, the, the, the words, oh, let me back up and be technical a little bit again. Um, you have to, in order to be identified as friend, you have to be coded. In a military aircraft, they code um, the transponder, and they say, here's the code for being a friend. And, you, and it's pretty secret stuff, kind of cool stuff. Um, you got to burn it when you're all done with it. You know, it's pretty cool. But um, it's coded in. And so you, you'd have nothing, you know, there's nothing in the cockpit. You, there's nothing you can do. It's coded in. And the same thing is with us. It's coded in. And so if you ever want to know, and I'll give you the verse here in a second, if you ever want to know how your heart is coded, watch what comes out your mouth because the mouth reveals what's in the heart, okay? And I've often thought is, is our heart um, is like a greenhouse and our mouth is the vent for that greenhouse. And so whatever's grown in the greenhouse comes out the mouth. And the verse I'm referring to on that. Um, is Luke 6, 5. A good man out of the treasures of his heart brings forth good, but evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Make sense? So if you want to know what your, your transponders, you know, what the code is, whether you've been coded or not, just pay attention to what comes out your mouth. Um, now here's the thing too, is our original heart is obsolete. The original heart that we get can't respond to, as friend to God. God, when he interrogates our original heart, he gets back foe. Friend or foe, get it? Okay, so make sure you track of me. I didn't want to lose you on that. But um, there, it, it doesn't have the ability to update. And it goes back to that whole thing of new wine and old wine. Do you put, make sure I get this right, do you put new wine in an old wineskin? 
you have to put new wine in a new wineskin, right? Because otherwise, and that verse is um, uh, Mark 2.22. No one puts new wine into an old wineskin or else new wine bursts the wineskin and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. So that means we need a new heart. Where do we get a new heart from? Connie's not here tonight. Connie and I have this little thing going. Because if you ever heard Connie's um, testimony, she refers to herself as having a heart transplant. God gave her a heart transplant. And that's Ezekiel. She, lo- she loves Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So in order, in order to... to um, in order to be uh, saved, you have to have a heart change. Your old heart is incompatible with, with eternity. And so that's what we're going to find out. We're going to find out with Haman tonight. He's, he's got some heart issues. Yep. And, um, and here's the good news, too. God's spirit in our heart identifies us as his. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 say that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ dwells in our hearts. And so, Haman, what the king says here is he says, who would presume in his heart? And I thought that was just interesting that um, he says that. What, you know, he's going right to the heart, and the heart is kind of a central thing in who we are. And we kind of, we maybe perhaps tend to forget that. Um, so let's examine Haman's heart, okay? Let's, let's look at his. Esther 3, verses 5 and 6 says, When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with wrath that tells you about his heart okay Um, and it goes on to say that um, he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone for for they had told him of the people of Mordecai instead Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who who were throughout the whole kingdom Um, and Esther 5.9 also talks about Haman's heart Um, uh, so Haman went out that day joyful with a glad heart um, but when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate that he did not stand or tremble before him, but was filled with indignation um, against Mordecai. So Haman's heart did not know God, didn't know God. So um, verse 7, Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined before him by the king. So the king, the king's wrath, he's angry. So what does he do? He goes out to his garden. And I don't know if you know about Persian gardens. Um, I think I wrote the word down. What is it? Pardis. Pardis. Um, Persian gardens are, are, they call them pardis after paradise, after Eden. And they really, um, and you think about Persia, you think about Iran, it's a hot place, although there are mountains there and such. But they really, really, Persians really love their gardens. And they'll, they'll go to uh, extravagant ends to keep them cool and refreshing and um, welcoming. And so it's, it is a retreat. It is paradise uh, on earth. And so I think it's funny. It's interesting. 
that the king goes off to try and find peace, but we're going to find out that he doesn't find that. I mean, he, he's, he, can't, um, he, can't, he can't quite get there. And so I was looking at um, Haman's crimes, and I came up with three main crimes, and one we probably can all figure out real quick, um, and this is this planned genocide. You know, his hatred for the Jews, he had planned a genocide. Okay, Hitler called that, it was kind of interesting today, in, in, in one of my classes, I'm actually talk, we were talking about the final solution um, with Hitler um, and, and that whole stuff, and I, um, I won't get into it too much, but I walked my kids through Hitler's timeline on his, his plan to wipe out the Jews and um, how effective he was on that plan. But um, So that's his first crime. Um, his second crime, I think, is conspiracy to kill the queen. I think his second and third crimes is what got him really, got, really got the king heated under the collar. Was uh, I, I, I don't I don't think that the the king so much was upset with him for the genocide, but the fact that that genocide was going to include his wife. So I would put crime number two as conspiracy to kill the queen. All right, that's crime number two. Crime number three is, is misleading the king. I honestly think that the king at this point remembers the conversation with Haman, and I'll read to you what he had said earlier, because Haman was really vague. Haman never says, I'm going to go wipe out the Jews. He never says that. I'll, I'll read you what he says, but I think the king at this, at this point was angry um, because he felt like he had been duped, that Haman had misled him. So those are his three crimes that, that he would be judged for. He'd be judged for um, the genocide of the Jews, um, conspiracy to kill the queen, and most probably important is misleading the king. And here's what he said to the king. Um, it's in Esther 3.8. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, and so this is way back when he cooked up the idea, there's a certain people scattered and dispersed. Does he say who? Mm-mm. Among the people of all the provinces of your kingdom, their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is, is not fitting for the king to let them remain. And so he had misled, misled the king. He never, and, and I told you back then when I taught on that, I, my, my uh, thought of Xerxes fell because as a historian, Xerxes up there, man, the dude did a whole bunch of cool things. So he was up there in my history book's mind, but the fact that he rolled over and allowed Haman to do what he was doing without asking any questions, he fell down a whole bunch of notches in my book. And so I have a feeling right here, this is part of the reason why the king is upset. And those are the three, the three crimes he would be judged for. Verse 8, Then the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine. Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. So he steps in, you know, Haman's uh, what appears to be lunging at the queen. Um, and that is going to bring the king's word, which is going to bring judgment. Okay, the king's word brought judgment. Um, that, and so let's do a quick review of Haman's life. Quick review of his life. Okay. Um, and, uh, and this is where it's, there's so many similarities. This is where I began to have compassion for Haman. Okay, because first off, he's born under a curse. Okay? 
he was an Agagite, he was a, a Amalekite, and, and according to God's word, they were accursed people who were going to die. Okay? Uh, Exodus 17, 4 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial. In other words, don't forget it. In the book, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under, under heaven. So, so, so Haman was born under a curse. He was going to die. He was, he was, it was cursed. But guess what? So are we. We all fall, fall short of the glory of God, do we not? We are all born under a curse. Uh, Roman, that's Romans 3.23. Um, and so the other thing, too, is uh, we, we all have, and, and it, I was kind of toying with this, too, is like, okay, but had anybody ever shared the gospel with Haman? You know, you, you, know, you kind of like run through the, your head and you go, you know, is, Haman, is, this, is this okay that Haman's being judged for his crimes? Well, guess what God gave us? God gave us all an awareness of sin. He gave us all an awareness. Haman had an awareness of sin. Uh, it's discussed in Romans 2, uh, chapters 14, or, yeah, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So Haman, Haman had a conscience. Haman had to have known that he was, he was going, he was, the things in his heart were, were wrong. And I wrote here, the condition of our heart determines our reception uh, of God's uh, warning prior to judgment. And when, where I'm going with that is too, is you guys know, I, I'm sure you know, I know this, you can harden your heart. When God will talk to you about something, you have a choice to harden your heart. Or, and sometimes it would refer to as a stiffen your neck. And, and there's only one, I think there's only one way to, to, to soften up a heart or soften up a neck, and that's what's oil, right? You put oil on hard old leather, right? And it softens it up as the spirit does. Yeah. And so um, I think this was another, that the condition of Haman's heart, I think had hardened over time. Uh, Matthew 3, uh, verses 14, 15 says, and this is Jesus speaking. Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see, you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of, the, of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And so, so if you look at, at Haman's, Haman's life there. You see a life of just, I, I, you could probably put half the people that we know in our circles that we run in where they, where they were born under a curse, okay? Um, and they, they have a conscience and they're dealing with the things that they're doing in life and they have that choice whether to hear God or not hear God. And so that's Haman. Verse, verse 9. Now Harbanah, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman, um, that the king said, Hang him on it. Then the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows um, that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. Okay? 
And um, first thing I, I told you earlier, I, I had one of my theories that I cooked up in my brain was that Hatach, Hatach had gone back and told the king that Mordecai was a Jew and the whole, gave him the whole scenario. Well, I think this is part of what led me to it. Okay, here's another eunuch and he knows all the inside scoop and he's telling the king about it. So amongst the eunuchs, there's a little, you know, barking chain going on and they're like, you know, telling each other what's, what's going on. And so that's part of the reason why I think Hatach was a little, he gave the king some inside information and that's why he couldn't sleep that night. But that's just a theory. Um, but it's interesting that very last, in, in verse 10, the very last thing, then the king's wrath subsided. Okay, so what caused the king's wrath to subside? And quite honestly, it was a spilling of blood. The spilling of blood causes wrath to, to subside. And so you have to understand there, there's two verses that are very important in this. Um, the first one is um, blood is linked to forgiveness. Blood is linked to forgiveness. Okay, Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So blood have to be, has to be spilled for forgiveness of sins. Make sense? Okay, so you have to spill blood to get forgiveness of sin. Well, let's go back to the wrath. The wrath of God against sin. So how do we escape the wrath of God with, uh, with regards to our sin? Blood is required, right? Well, this is the, this is the gospel here because uh, there's a connection between Jesus' blood and the wrath of God. Romans 5, 8, and 9 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his flood, by his blood, sorry, um, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. And so there's kind of this, this interesting thing. There, blood is required for, this, for the subsiding of wrath in this story, but it's also the case with us. For, for God's wrath against sin, we need, Jesus, we need to be covered in Jesus' blood and, and take that forgiveness. So, so we end chapter 7 uh, with, with judgment. Um, there's, there's been a crime and a criminal Okay, he's been found guilty. He's been executed, judged, and executed. But uh, and so we got rid of the general. We've eliminated the general. What what are we gotta do now? We gotta prepare for his army. That doesn't look too bad, does it? The, the, the numbers, the sun. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so that's that's what the next chapter is. Are we ready to eliminate the army? All right, let's get ready. We're going to prepare, prepare to eliminate the army. Or I'm sorry, prepare for his army, I should say. Chapter 8. On that, king, on that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the, um, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. Now, I don't know about you, but I love reading between the lines. Okay, so we know that Haman was rich, right? And you remember the original plan? He was willing to foot the bill to kill all the Jews. And I told you that it was equivalent at about um, uh, half of the GDP for Persia in a year. 
it was a, a sizable sum. So he had within his own wealth the ability to pay to wipe out all the Jews throughout the entire empire. Okay, guess what's just been given to Mordecai? He could, on his own, if he wanted to, he has just been given. There's, a, there's so many things that are kind of tossed out there. You know, um, Queen Esther, would you like to rule with alongside me 50%? Okay, um, and she never takes him up on it. Uh, Mordecai is now given a sum of money that he could have, I think, he could have, in essence, hired missionaries, or not missionaries, 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 mercenaries, a different M word. Yeah, he could have hired mercenaries and had his own little private army go out there and wage war. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. We're going to talk about it here in a second. Yeah. Um, but I also thought there was, too, just a little side note. It's something you said on, on Sunday, Jake. And, and I don't even realize if you said, you said it or not. Because it was one of those things where, like, somebody says something and then, you're, and then the Holy Spirit, like, basically puts that into your heart the way it is. I thought this was interesting, too that the king, based upon what Esther said, approves of her father, even though he's, what is he, he's a cousin, right? Yeah. And but he raised her. He raised her. And so there's, the, um, I, I think that's kind of cool that when people see us, they should, they should, they should see our father. Kind of like the same thing with Jesus, you know. How long have you been with me? Don't you know? You should, if you know me, you know the Father. And so I think that's kind of cool. That's kind of a little side note too there. That um, she, the king trusts Esther um, because what she's, you know, of who Mordecai, what role he's filled within Esther's life. Verse 3. Now, uh, Esther spoke again to the king. Now, keep in mind, spoke again. This is sometime later. This is not that day. She spoke again to the king fell down at his feet and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the, and the scheme which, which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king and if I have found favor in his sight and the king seems right and, and the thing seems right to the king and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written, revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of uh, Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's providences. For how can I endure to see the, uh, the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to cease uh, the destruction of my countrymen? Okay? So when it says Esther spoke again to the king, you have to understand the do not disturb signs back up. You remember the do not disturb. If you disturb me, I'll kill you. If I don't, if I don't hold out my scepter. So she's running in. She's, she, there's an urgency going on where she's, gone, she's ran right past the do not disturb sign, right into the king's presence, and she falls at her feet, okay? And she gives this, she gives this petition and request again, revoke Haman's orders, um, and save my people. Well, Daniel, Daniel 6, 8 tells us the Persian and Mede laws cannot be revoked. When they've gone out, you cannot pull them back. What's out there is out there. You now got to deal with it, okay? And so um, what she's asking for, can't, the king has, he has no power over this. He really doesn't. It's been enacted. There's nothing he can do. Um, and that's Daniel 6, 8, by the way. Uh, it says that, uh, that uh, 
The decrees in, um, and signs cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. Okay. Now, if, if we were to read on, we would have, we would have found out that she's reading this, or she's done this whole thing. Um, verse, if you read verse 7, it's in the presence of Mordecai. So this whole scene that just happened is in the presence of Mordecai. Okay? And so, um, and this goes back to, I told you, I, I would talk more again about, you know, I hatch these crazy ideas like Esther's pregnant. This is, this is part of it. Um, she's, she had an instant earlier where um, when Mordecai first talked to her, she said this. She said, or he said this to her. Um, um, it's Esther 4.14. If you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house, you and your father's house, so there's a continuation of your father's house. You with me? That's the way I'm reading it. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. We'll perish. That's why I think she's pregnant. Because Mordecai had said that. That's way back in chapter 4. He had said that. Um, and, and that's where the, the whole thing, you, you were created for such a time as this. Okay, so I honestly think this whole scene that she did in front of Mordecai was basically to, Mordecai said, you have got to do this or else. And I don't know if he was being prophetic there. Um, but I, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And he was, he was being prophetic in the sense that you have to do this or this will happen to you and your father's house. Um, because you have to understand, um, she's, she, she's it. I mean, she was raised by her cousin. So there's not much more in her father's house. She has just now, through this act, basically fulfilled that prophecy so to speak she's she's basically voided it she's she's gone ahead and spoke out like like she was supposed to do for such a time as this that's her such a time as this right moment right there um and so what she's done in this act right here she has highlighted the threat and so when you're gonna when you're gonna you know eliminate an army the very first thing you do is you got to highlight the threat you've got to in in the military we would study eobs enemy order of battles and we'd have an air order of battle and a land order of battle and naval order of battle, the very first thing you do is you identify the enemy. And that's what she's just done. She's identified the enemy. And I apologize too, if I see this, because I'm going I'm to get, I've, been, I've gone military on you twice, I'm going to go military on you one more time here. Um, and I apologize, that, but this is, this is, I honestly think this is a war and it, and it, and it just so lines up. I, a lot of the stuff that I see you know, from my military days, and you have to understand, it's been like 22 years since I've been in the Navy, but there, all this lines up, uh, including this next part we're going to read here. Verse 7. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman and have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Savan, in the uh, 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai had commanded to the Jews, the satraps and the governors, and the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote in the name of the king, Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, 
and sent letters by couriers on horseback riding on royal horses bred from swift steeds. Swift steeds. There we go. Having problems speaking today. Okay. So um, this is kind of an interesting too. Uh, Mordecai has been given the authority to to um, devise a solution, but there's there's two kind of interesting parts to it. First off, okay, you got to come up with a solution, and one of the solutions cannot be to void the old order. You're stuck with it. Now, come up with a solution. And I honestly think, one again, once again, Xerxes has fallen down on my history ladder here of Marx. I don't think, this is, this is a problem too big for Xerxes. He can't figure this out. I don't know what to do, guys. It's almost like a hot potato. You know, uh, guys, could you... You guys, you guys work this out. Um, let me know what you figure out. You know, you know what I mean? It's, it's an interesting dilemma that he hands to me. Um, and also the enemies had a huge, huge, huge head start. Okay? And so the enemies had time to plan um, and, 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 you know, sort things out. They got like a three-month head start on them already. Okay? But he doesn't say what the plan is yet. And what I just read you, he doesn't tell you what the plan is. But he tells you who the peop- who the message is being sent to, and that was one of the things I did. In, in, in uh, I worked, I did a staff job, and with a staff job, one of the things I, I never understood this, but I, after the staff job, I totally understood it is how to read messages, how to read message traffic, and in a message traffic, there's always going to be somebody who has it for action. We called it for act. Okay, so the 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 message would come to somebody, and it would be info. Those people that were in, that had some interest, but they didn't have to do anything. So there's a forac fraction, and there's an info. In in this thing here, he's identifying who the who's who has this fraction. The Jews have this fraction. He's identifying the he's identifying the government. He basically goes through the government. And and what's interesting here is he says, okay, um, the the people who have this. He hasn't told us what the plan is yet. But who the people who have it for action are the Jews, and I'm going to use um, I'm going to go back to Haman's uh, terms when Haman said, "This is who we're going to go kill." This is what he said. He said, "All the Jews, both young and old, little children and women." So the people who have this plan that Mordecai is about to announce, that's being disseminated, the people who have it for action are the Jews, all Jews, young and old, little children and women. Now, who is the info? There's no action required, but he wants, and he's thorough about this. Once again, if you understand, um, if you understand history, satraps were uh, were Persian governors, okay, and 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 that was one of the effectiveness that the Persians had for governing is they would have local leaders throughout all the different provinces, and they would and they kind of could operate um, because of the distances and what have you. They could kind of operate on their own. And so we have all these little local leaders, these satraps. Well, then he goes, he goes down, um, he goes to governors, which those are what, the people that were getting a little more local, and then the princes, which are super local. I mean, that's a, you know, like we would have a prince of Oak Harbor and a prince of Coopville. And a prince, well, that doesn't make sense, a prince of Coopville. There's only farmers there. <laughs> but, you know, a prince of Anacortes. Um, and so we would have these local princes. So he just went through pretty much um, I mean I was I was reading this I was reading this like a military um, a military message and so you would send you would send a message to the fleet 
under the fleet of the task force. Under the task force, you have the units. And that's who he just sent this message out. He sent them out to the fleets, the task force, and the units. And so everybody is infoed on his plan, but it's got the Jews are the ones that are going to execute it. We don't know what the plan is yet, right? But I think this is brilliant. Mordecai is just, he's like, okay, guys, saddle up your horses. But you guys, these guys are going to be saddling up their horses. You're okay. You just leave them alone. Let them saddle up their horses. Make sense? You guys are my infoees. All right? So let's find out what it is here. Verse 11. By these letters, the king, and here's, here's, here's the plan. By these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or providence that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. On one day in the providences of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. Now, I think this is interesting. Um, the king permitted the Jews um, to gather together. Okay, now you have to understand. We got to look outside here. We got to look outside. Okay, if you look in, in, in you know, in, in a small scale, it looks like the king is allowing the Jews to gather. But who is it who scattered the Jews? God did. So who can allow them to gather? Only God can. The only the king can allow them to gather. Does that make sense? And so it's God who scatters and it's God who gathers. So this plan right now already has got, it's got, the, it's got the stamp of God on it, believe it or not. It's got the stamp because the order is to allow the Jews to gather. Okay? Um, and it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote from Ezekiel and it'll make more sense when we finish up Esther. There's two things I'm going to quote from Ezekiel will make more sense when we get to the end of Esther. So there's a little... Um, what do they call that when you hide, hide a little something in the scene? Easter egg. Easter egg. That's an Easter egg for you, okay? Um, for, for next week. So the, this is God is a scatterer. A scatterer. That's, that's hard to say. Ezekiel 36, 19. So I, Yahweh, scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. God scattered them. And then if you go later on in that chapter, Ezekiel... 36 verse 24, for I will take you from all the nations and gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your land. And even, um, was it like Jesus? He was on, when he was coming into Jerusalem or something, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a, as, a, as a hen gathers his chicks or something like that. God is a gatherer. That, that is, that's a God thing right there. And the fact that they're being allowed to gather is a God thing. So this is, this is Mordecai's, right there, that's Mordecai's de, um, a declaration of, of war. But it's kind of cool. Okay, so the, in its simplest form there, okay, the plan, the plan is um, to pr protect themselves in order, um, uh, um, with, the, with, the, with the coming threat, protect themselves, um, and to destroy, kill, and annihilate their enemies. Okay, pretty simple, simple plan there. Um, it's, it's truly a great reset. You know, we love to use that, throw that thing around nowadays, a great, a great reset, the great reset. It, this is a good reset. This is a great reset right here. Um, and, and interestingly, too, we'll talk about this next time we, we, we open up Esther. They're allowed to plunder. 
Now, you have to, you have to understand, plunder was the normal run-of-the-mill in his, throughout history. How did you pay your troops? Plunder. And it served also as a motivator. So remember that next time we get into Esther. Next time we get into Esther, they've been giving, given permission to plunder as payment for what they're about to do. All right? Remember that when we get to, when we get to, the, to the end of Esther. Um, but here's where it's interesting. And this is when us, when we've got to go against an army, when we've got an army coming down on us, whether it's, whether it's cancer, or whether it's a heart attack, It's hard, yeah. We the people, you know, yeah. We 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 serve Almighty God, and we have to understand when there's a battle coming, it's not ours. And this is what's what's cool. This is what Mordecai. He's got this plan. But he's got God on his side. And that's where it all gets different. First one is Deuteronomy 20, verses 3 and 4. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid and do not tremble or be ter- terrified because of them. For, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you. Sometimes we don't realize how dear people are to us until we, you know, we think about the battles that they're in. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Okay? And so keep that in mind as you're, as you're preparing to fight an army. Okay? That you're not alone. And I think this is cool too. There's an echo from the past. If you remember Joseph in Egypt, um, there's, there's, Joseph says... In Genesis, it's recorded, Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. And so so there's this kind of this, the enemy meant to destroy God's people at this point, but instead the enemy will be destroyed. And who's going to destroy them? It's God who goes before us. So keep that in mind as you're coming up against an army. And armies can be, Scary, You know, what was about to happen? I mean, if you remember how Mordecai reacted earlier, he wasn't acting like this earlier. He was like, we're all going to die. We're all going to die, you know? And, and, and um, that's the thing. And I think probably when we're first hit with bad news, that's, that's kind of like our inclination. We tend to just panic, you know, and, and cry out. But... <laughs> Hopefully, we eventually get our footing and we stand on the rock. Make sense? Um, and this is the coolest part about Mordecai's plan. And I, 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 you know, I honestly, this is just a theory of mine, but I think this is fulfillment of Exodus 17, 14 um, that, that I just read to you earlier. Um, then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. 
I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Malak from under heaven. I think Mordecai's plan is going to make that happen. Okay? So, uh, continue on, verse 13. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every providence published for all people, so the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers who, who rode on royal horses went out, hastened and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan, the capital. Okay, so we've got horses going out. Horses, the king's horses do two things. First off, they get the message out there quickly, but second, they tend to authenticate the message. And so the message, people receiving this, because remember, it's going, my member told you, it's going to the fleet, it's going to the task force, it's going to the units. It's coming from the king's messengers. So all of these people, all these infoes on this message about what's about to happen, they're going to get the word quickly, and they're going to know it's, it's in fact legit, okay? And so... Um, so you can avenge yourselves on your enemies. One thing I, and, and I was thinking back to about Haman, Haman's act was a pretty good thing. It's a pretty good thing. When you, it, sometimes it's, it's, you look at things in the rearview mirror, and it's, hey, that actually that worked out pretty good. Because there was, there was three things that I thought Haman's act brought about. Okay, the first thing, it exposed a long-term, well-camouflaged enemy. The Malachites had been hiding for a long time, and they were well camouflaged, but they were enemy of God, and Haman's order exposed them. They're now on the radar. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the first thing that it did. It also exposed the enemy's plans. The enemy's plans were now known. What was the enemy planning to do? When were they planning to do it? Okay. Um, but uh, the last but not least, I, I just I keep coming back to this. I keep coming back to this. It gave opportunity to com- complete God's commands. And, and, and um, the, uh, there's the, the one I just read you, uh, Exodus 17, 14, but it, it also, um, it's, it, it shows up two other times in the Bible. It shows up in Joshua, Deuteronomy 25, 19. It says, therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess his inheritance, you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. And First Samuel 15.3, um, with, with Saul, King Saul. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that, all that they have. And do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and, and, and donkey. So um, uh, Haman's act allowed the fulfillment of God's um, promise, if you want to call it that. Verse 15. So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white with a great crown of gold and garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shashan um, rejoiced and was glad. And the Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every providence and city where the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Um, Then many of the Jews, uh, I'm sorry, then many of the people of the land became Jews because the fear of the Jews fell upon them, okay? And so first off, I think it's interesting. Look how Mordecai's walking around. You, you see his digs there? Uh, he's got a royal apparel of blue and white with a crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. Dude, is he's living pretty good. And, and I kind of, um, he's dressed like a king. 
I thought that was kind of an interesting thing there. Um, I, I like this too, the Shashan. Shashan is the capital city of, the, um, um, of, of Persia there. And they're rejoiced and we're glad. You have to go back. You have to rewind back to Esther 3.15. In Esther 3.15, that's not the case that it was. All of, it says there in Esther 3.15, all of, when Haman's order went out, all of Shashan was perplexed. They're like, what just happened? This doesn't make any sense. And now we see there's peace. When God's will is walked out, there is peace. There's, we don't have those checks in our spirit. You know it's of God. You know I'm supposed to do this. You have that peace that passeth all understanding. Um, and that's what's happening. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting too. There's light, gladness, joy, honor, a feast, and a holiday. Okay, now these, uh, this, is, this is military gym mind kicking back in. Okay, okay guys, now you just found out there's an attack coming and you got to get ready. So you're going to, okay, you guys are going to start practicing your sword. You guys are going to go sharpen swords. You guys are going to get the shields together. You, and, you know, I'm, in my mind, I'm like going, we got to get ready for battle. We gotta, they, they, they've had a three-month head start. We got to get ready. But what do they do? They party. But here's the thing, though. Who's going to fight their battle for them? The king. Yeah. It took me a while for, for that one to sink in. It's like, wait a second. Don't throw a party. Go get your swords ready. You know? But no, they, they really had the right attitude there. And there was that peace, that widespread peace. Uh, of Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. And I know minds are probably our worst enemy from time. Minds are the things that wake us up in the morning worrying about something, Right? Yeah, so that peace that passeth all understanding. Um, and so what do we got here? And I thought that was interesting too that the, a lot of people became Jews. And so there's kind of a, there's a widespread peace, but I think there's also a widespread discernment where people are like, you know, this is the right team to get behind. Let's get behind this team because that other, you know, the enemy, it's not good. So if the worship team wants to come up here, we're going we're gonna to be, I'm going to close you out with just kind of like just summary, kind of wrapping up all the things we did. Um, the old command, I wrote here, the old command required new action to provide salvation. The old plan, Haman's plan, required a new plan to provide salvation. Does that sound familiar? An old plan required a new plan. Okay, I think some of you guys are getting it. Yeah, um, the law condemns us, guys. The law condemns us. We are all found guilty because of the law. It says in Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that, we, that whenever the law, whatever we know, now we know, let me back up here. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. So we're all condemned. We're all guilty. Not, not a one of us initially. Initially. But however, and we found out about the blood there, Jesus fulfilled the law. Uh, Matthew 5.17, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus fulfilled the law. And, and we, all, we all love, you know, John 3.16, but you got to go to John 3.17 and John 3.18. 
It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And it's, it's exactly what you said. Um, he who believes in him is not condemned. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so what are we going to do then? And this, is, and this is going out for people, if they're listening, or if there are people here today, that if you don't know the Lord and you have that old heart, and when you are interrogated, it doesn't said, say, I'm his. It says, I'm not his. Okay, here's what you do. Uh, Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth that the Lord, Je- the, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? And so here's a, so, okay, okay, Jim, I, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I've already done that. I'm fine. But here's where the next thing we need to do. If you're saved, I would challenge you to go be about your father's business. And guess what he's called us to be? Ambassadors of reconciliation. We're to go out there and reconcile the world to him. Go, go out there and this, this whole thing that I talked about earlier, judgment, it's bad. I, I have a new... I have, I have a sadness in my heart for Haman. I used to have an anger towards him. I now have a sadness for him. And I now look at the people around me, and I'm praying for them a little more earnestly with regards to that. Amen? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. Um, uh, judgment is so harsh, but forgiveness is so good. And Father, we, just, um, we thank you for... Um, the fact that you fight our battles for for you and that father when 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 those pressures come father when that sickness comes when that illness comes when that army comes may we run and hide in you in jesus name we pray amen